0: Turn with me, if you will, if you have a Bible or a phone app, to Ruth two fourteen 14 to, to 23. I'm going to read this in full to begin, and then we'll recap and then, and then dive in. All right, Ruth two fourteen. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until... her what food she had left over, after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and and said, The man's name with whom I worked is Boaz. And Naomi said to to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law, Naomi. All right, so just a little bit of a recap here, if you're just joining us. The book of Ruth is about a woman named Ruth who was a Moabite, not an Israelite, uh, but she is a widow and she is traveling to Bethlehem in Israel with her mother-in-law, Naomi, but in, in a very difficult, uncertain position of being unmarried, which was a much more hopeless situation for women in those days. It was less secure. Last week, we met a man named Boaz. He comes up in today's passage, too. We met Boaz, who noticed Ruth and helps protect her and provide for her. And so the rest of the book, it's a short book, it's only four chapters, the rest of the book will focus on, on these two, Ruth and Boaz, their developing relationship, Boaz's grace and kindness, and Ruth's redemption, or her salvation. And through it all, we continue to learn about the ancestral line of Jesus Christ, the one who would come to kind of uh, recapitulate or complete or fulfill these stories by being a better version of them. So today we're going to dive into three big themes in this part of the story, the end of chapter 2, that help us to see Jesus ahead of time, all under the banner of Boaz, essentially saying, I've got this, or kind of taking on responsibility or taking on the, the impetus or the responsibility to show kindness and care even for this woman that at this point is still basically a stranger to him. All right, so three themes. The first is the theme of bread and wine. Let me read verse 14 again. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. So this is a more of an intimate moment. We're kind of increasing on the scale of intimacy with these two uh, based off of last week, That was when that's when they, they met. Uh, now this is more of an intimate exchange where he invites her to have a meal with him uh, and they essentially do that. She sits down and they eat and they talk and they share bread and wine together. Now amongst all these words here, the, the resolution in this passage I think is most important. The resolution is, she ate until she was satisfied. So the invitation is key. The fact that she ate with him is key. The fact that she had bread and wine uh, is key and had this status now, uh, kind of sitting amongst the other reapers. There's a lot going on here. But the resolution is she actually did eat and she was satisfied. And not only that, she had some leftover. She had leftovers to take home to Naomi, which we uh, just, just read about. And this is most important, I think, because it's an almost verbatim precursor to Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 in the New Testament, which would happen 1,000 years after this point in history. Where it says in Mark six forty-two to 43 Jesus fed the people and they all ate and were satisfied and they had some left over. All right. So the, the Bible wants us to see this correlation between this story in the book of Ruth and the story of Jesus, and specifically the feeding of the five thousand, but also it kind of uh, spans past that as well, which which we'll talk about. But at least seeing the initial correlation because it's it's a verbatim uh, thing here between these two stories. So that we remember, as we were talking about last week as well, the point of Boaz all together is to be a type of Christ. Boaz resembles Jesus. And he does that on two levels. Genealogically, because he's in uh, his ancestral line, but also symbolically. So if you're on Facebook now, uh, we're going to throw a graph up on screen to show this, but if not, just, just listen, I'll read it. But if you compare Boaz to Jesus, even just right here in this part of chapter two, it goes beyond that as well. We'll keep doing this throughout the series, but even just right here in this these couple of verses, really, you see a lot of striking similarities. So in Ruth, Boaz says, come here. He he invites Ruth to him. Just like Christ does that on multiple occasions to his disciples, and uh, to the weak, to the the restless, to the hungry, to the thirsty, to the outcast, Christ invites all of us to himself. Uh, Not to a way of living so much, but to him, as though he is the ultimate solution. Also in Ruth, Boaz, we see, serves Ruth. He serves her a meal. Just like Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Mark ten forty-five. In Ruth, we see Boaz is associated with bread and wine, uh, like Melchizedek before him and like David after him all of them serving the purpose of filling out this genealogical line of grace in the Old Testament that's pointing ahead to Jesus. And it's a line that consists of, again, an invitation alone to be saved by a meal, essentially, by bread and wine. And as we keep reading in the Bible, we know that the bread and wine ultimately is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so when we see here that there's an invitation to eat, an invitation to come, And and not just to eat, but to eat bread and wine. And to ask the question, what do bread and wine symbolize in the Bible? What what we're essentially seeing here is another instance of being saved by the grace of Christ and not by our works. The big thing here, though, I think we see, and it kind of says all of that a second time, but but we see this principle of satisfaction. So in Ruth, Boaz gives gracious, abundant provision— to to ruth it says that she was satisfied and that's just like those who come to jesus christ we have abundant life Uh, jesus says i came to give life and life abundantly and we are actually spiritually satisfied and so now like in these darker times in our city where things are being taken from us constantly there's so much uncertainty and unrest We have satisfaction, like there is one ultimate place to go. And there's a reason why we're not satisfied by the world, right? It it robs us, it takes away. It's an unsure foundation to stand on. But Jesus actually does bring satisfaction with himself. So again, not a way of living so much or a principle of teaching, but himself. He himself is the satisfaction because he himself is the bread and the wine. So Ruth, too, then, is a narrative picture of this. It's the principle of Jesus satisfying when other things do not. And more than that, the principle of having bread left over is a picture of how Jesus will never run out of saving grace for us. He will never run out of love for us. There's always more forgiveness than your sin. There's always more of the bread and wine of forgiveness than your sin you will never exhaust his grace whatever you do whatever you've done and whatever you're doing and whatever you do in the future this this is why ruth two matters because ruth had bread left over so will there always be grace left over for you when you reject god when you doubt him when you hear his voice but you go the other way anyway and i'm speaking as a christian i mean but for those who are not christians as well too The the ocean of the grace of God is, it's never-ending. There's never a shore to it. There's never an end to it. It's limitless. And so in Ruth here, if Ruth and and the disciples, when they experienced this too in Mark 6, if Ruth and the disciples were still hungry after eating the bread, that would imply the opposite, right? That would imply that God's grace only takes us so far, but then we have to start working It's up to our works at that point and our actions at that point to supplement his grace. His grace is the door, but not the pathway. That's what that would teach. But that's not what we see in the Bible, right? Over and over again, we see people eating to the point of satisfaction and then still having some left over. And again, that is to say, his grace will never run out. His forgiveness will never run out. And just to make the point clear, We have this instance time and time again in the Bible where leftovers are taken home. Leftovers are taken with them, shared with others because grace is is dispensed to the uttermost. All right, so that's the first theme, the idea of bread and wine and how that that thematically uh, pushes us forward in the narrative to Christ crucified. The second piece is the -the over-the-top kindness of of Boaz. Let me read verse 19 again. And her mother-in-law Naomi said to her, to Ruth, where did you glean today and and where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. So Naomi is essentially saying to Ruth here when she sees the the -the over-the-top plethora of of provision given to her that she's bringing home. She's almost speechless. And she says, what happened? Where did you get all of this? Where have you been? Who did this for you? It's a really sweet moment in, in the story. So essentially, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture of being moved almost to tears. Maybe she was crying. We don't know. But, but being moved to tears by extreme, over-the-top kindness. It reminded me of last week's passage where Ruth said to Boaz, Why are you doing this for me? This is from uh, verse 10. Why are you doing this for me? Why are you showing me kindness? I don't know you. I don't deserve this. I'm a foreigner. I'm a nobody. Or like David, later in the story, King David would, would show kindness to his enemy's grandson, Mephibosheth, and he, would, and he would say back, the, the grandson would say back to David in 2 Samuel 9, 8, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? So again, why are you doing this? This kindness doesn't make any sense. It's, it's too much. I don't deserve. It's over the top. And so, so here's the thing, and maybe you've, you, you can see it, but the only way that we can respond to God similarly to the one who has shown us undeserved kindness, is if we have a big view of our sin. It's the only way we'll share in this type of uh, glorious exaltation over someone else's kindness, in this case God's. If we understand our deep depravity, if we're embittered by it, that's a word from Ruth 1, if we're embittered by Our spiritual state like Naomi and Ruth were when they came back from Moab. And if we believe that we receive way more than we deserve, an unfair amount, if we're unfairly shown kindness, then that is going to elicit a similar kind of response in us. We will speechlessly marvel at the unfair grace of God. We will worship more, we'll praise more, We'll be thankful more. All these like characteristics the New Testament talks about for like what it means to be a Christian, the, the types of things we should do or the feelings we should have, that only comes from a massively big view of our sin and how much we don't deserve to be saved. And yet the bigger picture of how much God still saves us anyway in the spirit here again of what's happening between Boaz and Ruth and Naomi. We were meant to have this kind of feeling. We were meant to have this. This is what it means to be human. Not just Christian, but human. We were meant to have this type of Ruth and Naomi response. We were meant to run on worship and thankfulness. We were meant to, to face God in a thankful way and to receive from him rather than to work for him. It's good for our souls. But the reality is if our sin is small, or, and or, if the grace of God is small, the kindness of God is small, we just simply won't have this. We'll be less thankful, less worshipful, less prayerful. Uh, we'll probably be more of a jerk, to be honest, because we'll be more full of ourselves, thinking we deserve things. And so it will, it will directly affect our character uh, for the worse or for the better, depending on how much we, we take in these theological ideas. We see this verse accentuated in verse 16, where Boaz says to the men, pull out some from the bundles for her. So Boaz is instructing his his employees, make it easy for Ruth to glean. Pull out some and just lay it down for her to glean. Which is essentially the same thing as saying that someone else is doing the work, right? Someone else is doing the work And Ruth is simply benefiting from that work. And here's the thing. It's the same with the gospel. One small uh, instance of this in the New Testament, in Colossians 1.5, it says, hope has been stored up for you. Hope has been stored up for you. So when we read that, we should ask, well, by who? Who's doing the storing up? If it's been stored up for us, who's doing that? It doesn't say we have stored up hope. We've done the storing up. It says something's been done for us. The hope of salvation has been given or done to us or it's been done for us, it's been stored up for us. And the answer is God, right? Jesus does all the work. And to borrow from some of this language in Ruth, Jesus does the work of pulling out salvation for us and storing it up, ensuring that we have it at all, then we simply do an easy act of simply picking it up off the ground and receiving it. If you want to know what it means to be saved and what it means to live daily as a Christian, read Ruth 2. Ruth is a poster child for Christian living. Every day, God pulls out some more of Jesus' grace for us to simply glean and to nourish ourselves on. We never work for anything nor deserve the grace we're shown. And the more we understand this, the more loving we become. The more we get over ourselves. The less we understand this, the more obstinate and unloving we become. And we can see it clearly here in Naomi and Ruth's response to Boaz. Their hearts are being shaped by this. Their character is changing right before our eyes as we read the story. Not by the law, but by grace, kindness, love, and as this points ahead to, salvation. All right, the the last theme is the theme of beating out grace. So to kind of uh, pull some of these things further into into the narrative. Verse seventeen says, "So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out uh, what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley." So a little perspective here: an ephah of barley was over ten times what a normal male worker would produce in one day. It was about a half month's wage in one day. So this, again, is meant to show us that Jesus can give way more than what man can work for. Jesus can give way more than what man can work for. Grace is greater and does more for us than our good works. But this is more more than a principle. It's about more than just the principle of grace. The rabbit hole goes deeper here. It's about the how behind the grace as well. This verse, even, is about Jesus' death. In in John 12, 23 to 24, Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He's talking about himself. He's the Son of Man. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. All right, this is a really important sister verse to Ruth 2.17. Jesus likens himself to a kernel of wheat and says he is the seed that falls to the ground and dies so that life can sprout up. It's the same with Ruth. The physical wheat is falling to the ground and essentially dying, but it's providing food for her. It's nourishing her. But see, it's about more than that. It's about the forecast of Christ's death. It's it's not an insignificant detail here that Ruth, quote, beat out what she had gleaned. Because so is Jesus the grain that was beaten. Again, in verse 17. In Luke, uh, Luke 22, 63 in the New Testament, it says, The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. So you see, that this too is crucial for our understanding of, of theology. Salvation is not simply given. It is, which is good news. We've been talking about that. But it's not just simply given, it's given through a beating. It's it's like the the rock that was struck and poured out in the Old Testament. Moses struck that rock and it produced water and, and it quenched the thirst of the Israelites. The New Testament says the rock was Christ. In the same way, the grain that was beaten here by Ruth was Christ. It's through the beating, through the suffering through the death. And so this is why Christians affirm this, because it's not just because the New Testament says it, the Old Testament says it. The death and resurrection of Jesus, his beating at the hands of sinners for us, that's what saves us. That's what redeems us. In Ruth, it's not just grain, it's beaten grain. Jesus took the beating, and he, and he poured out grace like a river, it, never to end, never to run out. We'll always have some left over. He died for our sins, you guys. He loves you way more than you know. He ushered in the forgiveness of God in in the process. This is how confident we can be that we're right with God because he's done all the heavy lifting. And so in, in a, or by way conclusion, I want to read just a paragraph with you. This should be on screen if you're on Facebook, but again, if not, just just listen. When we approach Ruth, especially here, chapter one is a bit different. We did some different things there, but uh, last week and this week. Ruth is like us. Naomi, kind of like us as well, but Ruth is like us. Boaz is like Christ. So let me read this. Ruth is a lot like us. Someone invited her, fed her, and protected her. Something was pulled out and beaten and killed for her. Someone else did all the work, all so she could be satisfied. To gain the benefits of these things, like Ruth, we have to receive the gift. To be saved is to believe in Jesus, to trust him, and to take in the bread and wine of his body and be nourished to take up the grain seed of his fallen body and not trust at all in the works of our hands to save ourselves. Salvation is either entirely given or it's nothing. It can't be earned, partially earned, or moved on from. It is wrapped up 100% in the person and work of Jesus, so much so that we will always have grace left over. We will never, ever run out pray for us. Father, thank you for this passage. Uh, Father, help us, God, to, like Ruth, glean fr- from the wheat and the grain of your beaten body. Help us to nourish ourselves on it, to be receivers, to be passive when it comes to salvation, and passive even when it comes to Christian living. Every day is about the, 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 lunch, the breakfast, lunch, and dinner of salvation. We need the daily bread of your body to be saved, and to be ongoingly nourished, God. So protect us from doctrines that say otherwise. Uh, Continue to build your church and save the lost. Amen.